It's about us being assured when we listen to very wise uh, men, women, or whoever, who will try to tell you different. And boy, they can sound so convincing in their, in their manner and in their way. I, I found something quite interesting. Um, you, you, sadly, the, the guy, um, what's his first name? I don't want to call Hawkins. What's his first name? Stephen. Stephen Hawkins um, passed away, and you know that he was kind of opposed to it. Um, and I found the irony was is that they had a service in a church <laughs> for him. I, I just, it's just interesting to me, you know, I don't want to make any other comment, but it's just these kind of things happen, don't they? Um, but we know indeed for sure, that it was foretold Jesus was coming. Hallelujah. We were told many times throughout the Old Testament, time and time again, there's um, a prophecy of he would come. And of course, there is one um, famous, it's left me at the moment, Isaiah, when he was on the cross. Is it 53? Is it Isaiah 53? Where it talks about him being on the cross you know, and dying. He's, he's wounds for us. Um, and there were other times when it said he shall be called counsellor, you know, and all the different names they had. I haven't written them down. This is just off the top of my head. I'm just thinking the amount of times in the Old Testament they said there was a Messiah coming. Our Saviour was coming, hallelujah. And for their plight throughout all those years, was um, they was expectant of a saviour. But of course, it wasn't, when he came, he wasn't the saviour they anticipated um, because he came to save the world. Hallelujah. Not just the uh, Hebrews or the Jewish race. He had come to see, save the world. So we know indeed that it was foretold Jesus was coming. And um, I can remember years ago on the side of buses, do you, do you remember there was a, it was, it was about me, actually. They was all saying I was coming. How many couldn't remember that? A few years ago, Jim's coming. <laughs> can anyone, it was on the side of a bus. Jim, Jim, Jim's coming, yeah. And it was, um, I think it was Jesus in me. That's what it was, J-I-M, you see. And it was this big, anyway, it was some, some great evangelist was, was going to be preaching. So they had all, everywhere, Jim's coming, Jim, you know. I, I, I thought, boy. <laughs> what am I going to do when I get there? <laughs> well, anyway. Um, and we know, indeed, that Jesus lived. Now, this would be one of the arguments that it was just another uh, kind of story but I think they've come to accept um, that there was a man called Jesus who walked the earth. Um, most of the historians and everything will recognise it. It was written in by some guy called Josephus, who meant Josephus or Josephus? Josephus. Josephus, thank you. <laughs> um, yeah, and so I just want to read... Um, a couple of things that, that one of his followers uh, had written down about him. It was, uh, it was in the Gospel of John. 
And, uh, and it was John at the end of his, um, of his letter that he'd, or his gospel that he'd written. And um, I'll just read it in just two parts. It's John 21, verses 24 to 25. It says, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. And then a bit further on in another, the next chapter at the end of that, and it says, and again, this is a disciple who testifies to these things and who wrote them down. We know that his testimony is true. Jesus did many other things as well. If every one of them were written down, I suppose that even the whole world would not have enough room for the books that would be written. And I just wonder when I read that, and I think, um, I suppose that the whole world would not have room for the books that would have been written. And I was thinking, how many... How many other things did Jesus do that we didn't write down? Because he, he had written down about some of the miracles Jesus done, some of the things that he'd said, he'd, he'd written down about the crucifixion. But, but how much else did Jesus do? And I think if we, we look at it from the context of a man, then we probably think what he did in his ministry um, over those sort of three and a half years and what he was before... But I'm just wondering about Jesus, the Son of God, Jesus the divine. How many things did he do? He was in, you know, he was in the beginning, before the world was formed. So we could move out into a greater place, we could move out into the universe. What was Jesus doing? How vast, how big, you know, we, we are taken up because we don't, um, we can't see that many things uh, because our, our brains can't take it in. Uh, we haven't got the capacity to understand everything about God. Uh, we just haven't got it. And, um, and these things, and I've just written down here, the world is not big enough to have room for the story of the universe. I think it, to write it all down. So John is probably right in what he's saying there. We just cannot take on board what Jesus has done. And praise God, the bit that we have to do is to take on board what he's done for us. They're the things that are relevant to us, is what he did for me on a cross. And to you, what is relevant is what he did for you on a cross. That's what we need to understand about Jesus Christ. We, it's nice to know that the universe is there. We, it's nice to know who made it, <laughs> who created it. But really for us, it becomes much, much more personal, the cross. It comes down to you. Do you remember the old um, the advert for the winning the, the um, what's it called? The, not the raffle, the lottery. Do you remember the big, the big arrow that used to come through the sky? going through the window, and he used to point at the one person, it's you, you know, you've won a million pounds or something like that. And, and that's how God is with you this morning. There's big arrows coming down from God, and he's saying, it's you I died for. 
It's you. Forget the person next to you. Forget what the world is doing. Forget what is being said as we, we move on into that. Um, we know indeed Jesus has no central place of worship. Um, and let me read this. I'm just going to read this from Luke chapter 9. It says, As they were walking along the road, a man said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus replied, Foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. You know, there is no earthly special place where you can find Jesus Christ. Do you find that reassuring? I do. I think that because what that says for me, I don't have to search for some holy place, somewhere where you can sort of be in the presence of God. You might have to go on a pilgrimage. It's very, you know, popular in times gone by. Is it, oh, take a pilgrimage to this place or that place and you'll meet Jesus Christ. But Jesus didn't leave us anywhere. He left us nothing of himself except what you could find on a cross, on an old piece of wood stuck up on a hill. And they don't, to, to this day, we don't know what happened to that. And I, I think that was almost um, on purpose that it was done like that. For the simple reason, I think, that anyone in the world could find Jesus Christ by just opening their heart. They don't have to move from their own home to find Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. It saves all of that hassle of trying to find something, trying to reach something, trying to walk something. You know, um, lots of people believe that if they work hard enough, they can find Christ. They can find salvation. If they do good enough, if I achieve it, perhaps if I go to the Vatican and stand in the middle of the um, St. Peter's there, perhaps that's when God will meet me. No. No. Nor does it happen anywhere else in the world. Jesus will meet you where you are at. Hallelujah. Does that cheer you up this morning? Does it really sort of think to yourself, well, that's great, isn't it? Because I could be the poorest of the poor in some third world country, uh, a kind of what you would think God-forsaken country, and there, if I called out to Jesus, I would find him and I would have all of this life. Hallelujah. There is no kind of, you know, because I live in this country, then I stand a better chance than anyone else. That, but we can find Jesus Christ wherever you are, in, an om in a moment. It says, in the twinkling of an eye, hallelujah. And it said, uh, he said to another man, follow me. But he replied, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead. But you go and proclaim 
the kingdom of God. Still another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. Jesus replied, no one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. And I think to myself, you know, Jesus was prepared to go to a cross, was prepared to die for us. How much are we prepared to do for him? How much are we prepared to sacrifice to find the fullness of all that God is promising us? Um, I, was, I was trying to think of this. When one of the arguments they had for crucified, and they said, he said, uh, destroy this temple and I will rebuild it in three days. And they were looking for him to build another temple. And I thought to myself, well, if we want to build, how big a temple would you have to build to fill, you know, for sufficient for Jesus Christ to be in? How big would it have to be? We couldn't do it. There is no, you know, we couldn't build anything big enough to house the Lord Jesus Christ. So it's a bit pointless, really, isn't it? People trying. They tried in the Old Testament. They tried to reach God, if you remember. It was a, um, a Babel. They built and built and built. They said, we're going to get up to heaven because it was destroyed. Um, but I just think, I, I, we need buildings. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> Otherwise, we would all be very cold, especially when it rains. But it's not that we're building some special building. The, the bricks and the mortar don't take on some holy, sanctified, uh, precious place because he's not in the buildings. He's not in the brick. He's in me. He's in you. He's in human beings. That's how he moves. That's how he moves around the world, being in us. And so really for us, when we think about it, when we think of religion and uh, we think of people worshipping God, it's good, I suppose, that people do, um, you know, build these massive, uh, what, temples, churches, uh, cathedrals or whatever. I suppose, they're, they're, you know, if, if they're going in there and they're genuinely worshipping God, but if that, if that place becomes a monument to the man that built it, then really it's not worth one of the bricks. When we build something, we need to build to God. We need to build to Jesus. And our building shouldn't be with bricks and mortar, but it should be with our heart and what we want to do. In actual fact, Jesus warns them. He says, um, Do not store for yourself treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up your, yourselves treasures in heaven, where moths and vermin do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Hallelujah. What are you building for? What are churches building for? What is any movement of God? What becomes their goal? What becomes their aim? Do they lose it on the way? Do they stop focusing on God and focusing, start focusing on numbers, 
on how many people they can get into a place? Or are they more concerned about pleasing God and about perhaps caring more for the people they have um, rather than sort of saying, well, it's incredible. There was 5,000 in the building and God was really moving and we were all sitting, and you see it. I'm not, please, don't get me wrong. I mean, I don't know, you know, where these people are at. But I do know that what you have to do, if you want to um, tell people about Jesus, you have to get close up with them. It's no good shouting it from a big cathedral. You need to be where they are. And Jesus said, you know, um, you'll always find Jesus with the poor, with the needy, with those who need him. And so for us as Christians, it's not about, it's great to be worshipping God, it's great to be in this room this morning, but there's more to it than that. If we want to follow Jesus, then we have to take up our cross and follow him. And that is really, what does that mean to you? What does that mean to me? But we can store up our treasures in heaven. Um, I, I know in our lifetime together, Margaret and I, and, and I know lots of people in this room, is that we are storing up treasures in heaven. There are things that won't be seen, won't be known, they won't, they won't go down in any book of history. But we've been privileged to be in places and to know the moving of God just as we're there. You know, just sort of sense the presence of God and be pleased that we've been co-workers with God. Now, I don't say that in a boastful way. I'm just saying that's to me, is storing up treasures in them. There is nothing better in life than to see a life changed. Amen? You cannot buy it. You cannot sort of manoeuvre it. You can only give what you've received. And when you give what you've received from Christ, then you see a change in a life. And the beautiful thing of it is then that that life goes on and can change another life. And then that life can go on and that can change another life. And that's not because there's a man in there. It's because it's Jesus in me. It's because I'm giving them what I have received. And so that's laying up treasures in heaven. It's to get to know that peace and get to know that kind of, yes, yeah, satisfaction. I think that's it, yes. The satisfaction of knowing that you've been a co-worker in, with God in somebody else's life. You cannot beat it. And that is what he means by storing up treasures in heaven. Doing what Jesus did. Going about doing good. Hallelujah. And of course it says where thieves break in and steal. And um, I've put a little note here. The devil is a thief. He's come to rob us. He's come to rob you and I of everything that we have. And he wants us to finish up in hell with him. And he'll do everything in his power to move you away from Jesus Christ. And Jesus said, he's the liar and he's the father of liars. It was in the beginning and only Jesus could overcome the devil. 
In actual fact, we celebrate this morning. This is, you know, the devil's ultimate power, we are told, was death. And Jesus took that power away from him and gave you and I resurrection life. Hallelujah. That's why I'm thrilled with Easter. That's why I love this time of Easter. And, so, and I believe that's why we don't have any central place of worship. There is no shrine. There is no sort of kind of altar, if you like, of sacrifice where somebody can say, yeah, you go there because that's where God is. No, God is here. God is before you. He's around you. He's everywhere. So we don't have to go miles and miles away. I'm so pleased, as I said before, because wherever I am, whatever country, whatever state that I'm in, you know, I could be really down in the dumps. I could be in a hopeless place, absolutely hopeless, where all, everything's gone, family, illness, you know, health, everything, but God is there. He said it. He said, wherever you go, I'll be there. David writes a psalm about it. And he says, you know, wherever you are, wherever I go, if I make my bed in hell, you are there. Hallelujah. God is everywhere. And this is the key to it. And in Matthew, it says, um, sorry, not in Matthew, in Hebrews, it says, the Holy Spirit also testifies to us about this. First, he said, this is the covenant I will make with them after that time, says the Lord. I will put my laws in their hearts and I will write them on their minds. Hallelujah. This promise is the indeed of our eternal life. No man can take it away from you. If it's in there and in there, how can they take it away from you? How can they take away the Lord Jesus Christ. And we have testimony after testimony after testimony throughout the centuries since the crucifixion and the resurrection. We have testimony of, of people who were in situations and God came and brought them out of that situation. God came and showed himself alive. We had it right at the very beginning. Right, right in the beginning of Acts when Stephen was stoned to death and he saw God and he saw, you know, the heavens opened and he said, Father, forgive them for no know what they do. And there was, you, you won't get in a work, worse plight than that, I suppose, being stoned to death. But God was with him. And this is why this is such a wonderful promise. I will put my laws in their hearts and I will write them on their minds. And um, it's... Just an interesting story with that. Uh, a family that we know up in uh, Liverpool. One of the sons um, used to come and sit in the church every day, you know, and um, used to go to the meetings. And when he was about 16 or 17, he said, I've had enough of this. <laughs> I'm, you know, and he went and done his own thing. And he used to go out with his friends, drinking and everything. And I can remember his brother was getting baptised up in Liverpool and it was out in the open. And they said, does anyone else want to be baptised? 
And he jumped up and he said, I do. And I spoke to him afterwards. And he said, um, he said, I used to go to the clubs. He said, we used to go drinking. This was in Warrington. And uh, he said, but it was never the same for me. I said, what do you mean? He said, well, he said, they all seemed to be enjoying it. He said, but I was doing it. He said, but there wasn't, it wasn't the same. He said, as though there was something stopping me inside from doing it, from having a good time, as they appeared to be having. And that was God in him, you see. That was something, you know, nagging away at him. You call it conscious or call it what you will. The thing is, he knew. He knew what the truth was. He'd experienced it. But he was desperate to try and get one. But he couldn't. Why? Because God had written it in his heart and in his mind. Hallelujah. And he does the same for every child of God. Everyone that is born of his spirit, he said, I will put my laws in your heart and your mind. And that's the promise of God. That's why we're different from the world. Because we have a different starting place. What's in there and what's in there is different from the world. And you can't change it. And you might uh, let it drop or something might happen or whatever, I don't know. You know, um, you just wonder about these things. But I do know the comfort I've got is that no man can take it from me. I've even, I, I spoke to a guy who um, used to do street evangelism. He did the, um, what they call them, the boards? Uh, Sketchboards, thank you, Teresa. Always on hand. Um, yeah, he used to do the shit. Well, anyway, there was something happened in his church and he really got upset about it. And, and he finished up having a nervous breakdown. And um, he didn't do the sketchboard. He, he left the church and he kind of was in a terrible place. He said to me, he said, but in all of that darkness, all of that terrible time, he said, Jesus never left me. He said, I felt the presence of God going right through that nervous breakdown. There's an encouragement for us, isn't it? When, you know, we feel the, uh, the surgeries with our depression and what have you. God is still with us, even in a depression, even in the state that we might get into. Whatever addiction or whatever we have, God is there for you. Hallelujah. Um, we know indeed Jesus was seen by many after his resurrection. And of course, you know, the, the world is, um, yeah, sceptical. I, I know loads of people, you know, that just don't believe. And they can't, I suppose. The, the vast majority doesn't believe in the resurrection. Um, but let me just read. This is from 1 Corinthians 15. Um, Paul writes to them, For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me also as to one abnormally born. 
Now, I want, just want to clarify one of those statements. It's, most of them are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Now, I don't, you know, some might be asleep in this congregation, right? <laughs> and some living. But I don't want to say anything. This is talking about people that have passed, and it was a phrase that they used for somebody that had died. You know, somebody had fallen asleep. But hey, they, when I looked at this was this, uh, it, it was established, or has been established, that this letter was written um, in, within 25 years of the day of Pentecost. And this, they're writing down their evidence, and they're talking about 500 people seeing the resurrected Christ. Now, they've got all, they've got different people have got different ideas. Some have said it was on that mountain when he went, and other times, uh, other places. And of course, it might have been some of these things that have been written down and that, you know, we don't know of. But I do know what he's saying there is that 500 people saw the resurrected Christ. And also, he says, um, then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. And last of all, he appeared to me also as to one abnormally born. And um, what, he's mean, what he means that abnormally born is that he was born before his time or after his time. You know, that was, he was saying, I wasn't there, but this is when I was born. Um, so, we, so we have quite a lot of evidence, you know, that Jesus was seen after his resurrection. That's, that could be, what, 530, 540 people. How many, how many witnesses do you want? You're lucky to get two for an accident. <laughs> but here we have all of these people that saw Jesus Christ. And, um, and we know indeed Jesus had such an effect on these people that they began to take the gospel all around the world. How much faith do you need to leave everything that's comfortable, everything that you understand, all of your traditions, all of the things that you've, you know, you've been brought up in, to leave them and go out and declare this gospel. We didn't have, we didn't have the media. They couldn't send out flyers. They couldn't send out, you know, put a, a little group up on Facebook or something like that. These people had to walk and everywhere they walked, they brought life. And everywhere they walked, they brought converts. And they were doing incredible things. And do, do you think they would have done this on, on a kind of a bit of speculation? Well, did we see him or didn't we see him? I'm not sure. I'm not sure of this. I'm not sure. No, you have to be sure. You have to be certain. And these people were certain. So certain that they gave them, them their lives that we might hear the gospel. We are sitting here, well, you're sitting, I'm standing, but we're here this morning because these people were prepared put, to put their lives on the line and go out and preach the resurrected Christ. Just imagine that. How much faith do you need? What do you need to have seen to move out into the world? What was there, 12 disciples? And yet look at the difference they've made to the world. They had no internet. They had no money. They had nothing. All they had 
was the word of Jesus Christ and that he was risen indeed. Hallelujah. He is risen this morning. We need to see it. We need to understand. It's not Easter. Oh, it's another Easter egg. Oh, I've got to go to church and worship. No, it's life. He gave his life. It was actual blood that was shed. It was actual life given so that we might live. And through the years, others, if you like, have added their name to those who have died so that we might have the privilege of sitting here under the voice of the gospel. Hallelujah. And we can know new life. So you can go back to that person that's got no hope, perhaps in your job, in your home, in your family. You can go back and say, listen, there's hope for you because Jesus Christ has been resurrected. This was what they had given. And they must have had something of substance within them to have persevered in that. And you can get it today. People are doing it today. They have something in them. You see mothers in our church and in other churches all around who have believed in Jesus Christ, who are praying for their children, who are persevering, who are going on and going on. Husbands, you know, sons who see this life and think, I want it for my kids. I want it for my children. What does it mean? Well, perhaps a little bit less football, perhaps a little bit less drink or doing it. Yeah, but I want this Christ for my family. I want my family to come through to a new place. Hallelujah. And they can do it. Why? Because Jesus Christ died on a cross. These people witnessed his resurrection. And we can witness his resurrection. I witnessed his resurrection. Hallelujah. I wasn't there 2,000 years ago, but I know I was there that day when I gave my life. And it was kind of, he came. They say, don't they, that the, the song says, um, what is it? Um, How do you know he lives? I know he lives because he lives within my heart. Hallelujah. That's why I know about Jesus Christ. That's why I'm thrilled about his resurrection. Because he is, I don't know, he's everything. He becomes everything to you when you see, when he gets bigger and bigger and you get smaller and smaller. Hallelujah. And finally, <laughs> we are, well, just to say on that, we are living today, we are living in Christ because of the saints who have gone before. And please, I, I've, it's, a, it's a good lesson to learn, but please don't think that um, we know better than the saints that have gone before. You know, we love new. Humanity loves new. But really, when we look at this, just remember the saints that have gone before who didn't have what we've got. Nothing like it. And they were prepared to die for it so that you might live. Are you prepared to die that others might live? And I don't mean necessarily physically, although that could happen, but really not have all that you want because you want somebody else to know the Lord Jesus Christ and know this life.
<clears throat> Finally, um, Paul writes, I have become its servant by the commission God gave me to present you the word of God in its fullness. The mystery of that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but is now disclosed to the Lord's people. To them, God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. That's in the Colossian now. What does it mean to us? What is the hope of glory? Have you ever thought about it? What, what does it mean? Um, well, let me just drop back to another letter that Paul writes, and it's 1 Corinthians. He says, None of the rulers of this age understood it. For if they had, that's the crucifixion, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. However, as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor no ear has heard, and what no human mind has conceived, the things God has prepared for those who love him. These are the things God has revealed to us by his spirit. The spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. For who has known the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. We have the mind of Christ. Hallelujah. If you'd like to think of that, I, I've considered this a lot of late. What no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor has uh, no human mind has conceived. Do you remember I said, God is too big for us. <laughs> how he moves, how he works, how he does things, it's too big. We cannot understand. We could spend years trying to find out the mystery of God. And yet we will never understand God fully. But we'll know him when we see him because we'll be like him. That's what the book of John tells us. Isn't it wonderful? But we'll be like him when we see him. Hallelujah. We can't take it on board. I'm so pleased because I can't remember that much anyway. <laughs> and to, to try and be like God, then, you know... Um, and my mind boggles, so I just leave it. I leave it with God. I just trust God is in control. So I leave these things with God. So if somebody starts to talk to me about, is, you know, um, is the resurrection true? Did he actually come from the dead or something? Then I can say, yes, that's what I believe. That's what I believe. Truly, 100% believe. Um, and I don't have to worry any more than that. I don't have to prove to them that God is alive. I don't have to prove that, you know, that the, the move of God through the centuries. I don't have to prove about creation. I can't anyway, because I wasn't there. And the people you're arguing with weren't there either. They're having to take, they're having to put their faith in somebody else. I don't have to do that. I put my faith in God and allow him through this book to help me to lead my life. Now, it might be foolishness to you, but then he said it. He said, well, it's foolishness to the world. So that's what resurrection has meant to me. We have a saviour who went to death 
for you and me so that we might live eternal life and we might live a good life now and just think, you know, I don't know how to fix things, but I do know a man that can fix them and I can go to him. Amen.